Good evening, everybody. So great to be with you all here tonight again. Well, uh, if you'd like to turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, and uh, we're going to be looking at verses 10 to 20. If you want to open that in your Bible or get it on your phone. Before I read it, uh, I'm just going to lead us in a prayer. Father God, thank you for the pleasure of being here this evening, and thank you for all of us being able to gather here together around your word tonight. Lord, we're conscious that the Lord Jesus Christ, he created all things. He is the sustainer of all things. And he will be speaking to each of us this evening through these words. These are the words of eternal life. So please help us sit humbly under these words tonight. And please help us by your spirit to be doers of these words. For Jesus' glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the bill of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare boldly as I ought to speak. Well, just over a year ago, over 150,000 troops, thousands, thousands of armored vehicles, air support and missile attacks were launched against Ukraine. The Russian forces, they attempted a lightning assault on Kiev. They planned to seize the capital within three days. Well, just over a year on now, the British Ministry of Defence reports that Russia averages 500 casualties per day. They estimate that over 50% of their tanks have been destroyed, that 20 Russian generals have been killed, and that over 60,000 Russian troops have been killed in total. This was a war that the Russians believe would last between three to seven days. It is clear that over a year on, they have underestimated the Ukrainians. And it's rule number one of any warfare. Never underestimate your enemy. Know your enemy. Know what you're up against. So then you can ensure you've got the right armor for that fight. Well, in our passage this evening, Paul reminds us that as Christians, we're in the front line of a war zone. It's a spiritual war against our enemy, the devil. 
And Paul doesn't want us to underestimate him or indeed the armor needed to stand against him. In the previous section in Ephesians, Paul had been talking about how Christians should conduct themselves in family life, marriage, work, in the home, just the nitty-gritty of everyday life. And so what Paul's doing for us is he's pulling back here for us the curtain, as it were, of our daily day-to-day lives in Sunderland and showing us the true reality of a spiritual war. As Christians, we're actually in a battlefield. While all the while we're doing the school run, we're doing the nine-to-five job, we're watching Netflix at home. It doesn't look like it on the surface, but behind the curtain, spiritually speaking, we have an enemy who is hell-bent on attacking us and bringing the Christian down. And the enemy who hates the church an enemy who hates Calvary Christian fellowship. And so in his remaining days, he seeks to do whatever he can to tear the church apart. And so Paul wants us to be alerted to this, to know our enemy and to know what armor we have for the battle. Well, C.S. Lewis once wrote that there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence And the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Well, I think for us as Christians in the West, we can often fall into that first category, which is not giving enough thought to our deadly foe and spiritual forces of evil. And so this is a good passage for us tonight to be reminded of the reality. And then the other danger is some Christians can give it far too much attention than Scripture does, often perhaps uh, believing in some sort of dualism belief. Uh, This idea is making a bit of a comeback in Christian circles where you see the emphasis on warfare prayer and focus on territorial spirits and where people talk about releasing God's power through warfare prayer and so on, you know, taking back the city for Jesus and so on. And those Christians are often forgetting that victory over sin and death has already been secured at the cross and resurrection of Christ. So Christ, he is reigning right now victoriously over all, with the devil and all things now under him. The devil's lost. The war has been won. We don't know how things are going to turn out in Ukraine and with Russia, yet we do know that the war has been won. Christ is victorious. But yet until Christ returns, well, on that, until that day when he, the devil, and uh, spiritual powers will all be cast away forever, Well, Satan now still prowls around, as we know, like a roaring lion. Satan, he is a defeated enemy, yet he still is dangerous. So we need to have that balanced view. We need to have that balanced view. He's a real, literal enemy, and the battlefield in which we face him is actually closer to home than often we think. It's the nitty-gritty of everyday life. But you praise God, as we will see, we have all we need already in Christ to stand firm against this deadly foe. So we've got three points this evening. And our first is, we are standing firm against a real enemy, verses 10 to 13. So verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, Paul says. So notice in this spiritual war we're in, Paul begins by calling on us not to roll up our sleeves and flex our muscles for the fight, but rather to be strong in the Lord. So we need God's strength, so no search for the hero inside ourselves, as the cheesy song goes. No, Paul calls on us to be strong in the Lord. Paul points us to Christ as our strength, who by his mighty power gives us all that we lack for the fight. So Paul calls on us, verse 11, to put on this 
full armor of God so that we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. Now, four times in our passage, Paul calls on the Christian to stand. It's the cry you hear in many battlefields, isn't it? Stand firm, hold the line. So we're to stand against the devil's schemes. Stand our ground, stand firm, says Paul. So if we're to stand against this powerful foe, well, we need kitted out in this right protective gear. And that's why Paul tells us to put on this full armor of God. So we need this. For verse 12, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. That day of evil, that could be times of, of difficulty that we face from Satan. It could be persecution over a long period of time or short time. But we're to stand, as Paul tells us, through it all. When northern Nigeria, churches are literally burnt down by extremists. In parts of India, pastors are dragged out and beaten by mobs. In Sunderland, false teachers today were already in pulpits across our city, distorting God's word as they were leading people astray with their lies. Yet behind all these flesh and blood human attacks in opposition to God's people and the true gospel would stand seeing himself. He is our real enemy. And our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against evil spiritual forces headed up by Satan, says Paul. And he's a devious enemy. Verse 12 Verse 11, so he tells us he schemes against us. He schemes against us. So he will use all sorts of tactics and methods from the full-on obvious persecution, you know, the full-on frontal attack on the church, which is obvious, to the more devious, underhanded, camouflaged ways of bringing in false teaching into the church. He's an expert in lies and craftiness from the, the whisper in the ear, Sure, what harm would a few more drinks do? Sure, what harm would a few more clicks on the laptop bring? He's an expert at causing division. When a brother or sister falls out with another in the church, he's there, ready to pounce and stoke those fires of division, causing problems within the church. He's an expert at distracting us. He loves nothing more for us to be concerned and distracted with our love of materialism from our new shiny phones, a new car, or distracted with our broken tumble dryers or our leaky pipes. All the while in our distractions, we're giving no thought to evangelism or giving energy to serving at church or giving money to the mission field. That's all just the way he likes it. He will use every strategy in his evil book against us. Rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, evil spiritual forces. It's all here, a picture of a whole realm of evil spiritual forces headed up by Satan, which is all against, all against the worldwide church. And so the Christian walk for us is certainly no walk in the park. Now some of us can often have some sort of a false prosperity gospel lurking in our hearts where we believe the lie that the Christian walk is just going to be nice and rosy for me and it's all going to be a stroll through life, always fit and healthy, nice house, perfect marriage, great kids, dream job, happy ever after kind of thing. Yet life is not a stroll for the Christian as we follow in the footsteps of our Savior. 
It's not a stool for the local church. We live in the spiritual equivalent of the Ukrainian front line. For as we take up our cross and follow Christ, with every corner we turn, we'll be met with hassle from Satan. And it'll take place in our average day-to-day lives, within the home, the workplace, the university, the school, the church. Well, before the Second World War, uh, the French, they built the world's most advanced border defense. It was called the Maginot Line. It was this incredible concrete border defense which stretched for hundreds and hundreds of miles. It was an impregnable, state-of-the-art defense against any enemy. Yet the French had a blind spot. It was the Ardennes forest that bordered them and Belgium. They thought no army could get through that thick forest. So they left that unprotected. But that's exactly what the Nazis did. They exploited this blind spot, the Ardennes forest, and they came through there. They got a foothold into the country. They then divided, they then conquered, and they destroyed. Where is our blind spot? Is it the pornography habit that we've turned a blind eye to it? Is it our tempers? Is it our love of materialism? Our love of career? Or is it, like I said, an ongoing disunity with another church family member here at Calvary yet to still be resolved? Where is our blind spot that if we are not careful, Satan could exploit, get a foothold in and wreak havoc as he seeks to destroy. He seeks to destroy this church. He seeks to destroy our marriages. Friends, let's take this threat seriously. We're to stand firm. And Paul says against a real cunning evil enemy. Satan is real. Now some of us might be finding the Christian life difficult right now. Maybe the battle with a particular temptation is becoming wearisome. Well the good news is for our souls, brothers and sisters, young and old, it's our second point. We can stand firm in the full armor of God. Paul in verses 14 to 17 here, he lists the items that every Christian has at their disposal to be armored in. These items are clear echoes of the armor of a Roman soldier, but far from Paul picturing a Roman soldier only, Paul has first and foremost in his mind the prophecy of Isaiah, which describes the armor of the Lord and the Messiah all throughout uh, places in Isaiah. Too many references for us tonight, but hence we had that one reference reading earlier from Jack Force. For that armor listed throughout Isaiah is none other than the full armor of the Messiah. The point being that we as Christians are being called to put on the same armor of Christ. That is God's armor. And we have that at our disposal because we're already in Christ. And we get his, the king's armor, if you will, to put on. So Paul here is saying, make sure we stand firm with every bit of armor that God has already given us. Let's consider each piece of armor. Verse 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. This is the truth of the gospel. The word of truth, as it says in Ephesians chapter 1, the truth of the word of God. And those who are in Christ know this truth. We're to be encouraging one another with it like we are tonight. And we live this truth out in our daily, everyday lives. And it's this truth, of course, it's constantly under attack these days, isn't it? But we're to stand firm in this truth. Therefore, with the bill of truth buckled around our waist. 
Well, next, the breastplate of righteousness. Paul here is describing the, the righteousness that God gives us in Christ. As Christians, when our, our sin, our guilt was laid on Jesus at the cross, there was a swap. We all know this. Our sin was imputed to Christ, and Christ's righteousness was imputed to us. And so God no longer counts our sin against us. Yet the devil will constantly be attacking the Christian with the lies that God perhaps doesn't love us anymore because of that sin that we gave into the other day. He'll whisper these lies within us. How could God love you after you lost your temper with the kids? How could God love you after what you did? How can you call yourself a Christian after giving into that sin yet again? Well, as we strap that breastplate of righteousness on, it protects our hearts against Satan's vicious lies. As we know, we have been reconciled to God through Christ, and thus we're always clothed in his perfect righteousness. Despite what Satan may be saying to us to try and knock us off course. Well, next, the next bit of kit is verse 15. We have our feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, notice. Something much better than the finest DMs that money can buy. We've got gospel boots on, if you will. So we were once enemies at war with God, but God made peace with us, of course, through Christ at the cross. So we can now stand in our gospel boots knowing that we're not God's enemies any longer. And so we can now share that good news as well with the world, that great news of peace and reconciliation that can be found in Christ as we walk in our gospel boots. Well, next we're to take up verse 16, the shield of faith, notice, which we can use as a defensive weapon against these flaming arrows of the evil one. We'll picture the, the opening scene in that wonderful movie, Gladiator. It's one of a few films I give five out of five. Um, I don't know if you agree with me. If you don't agree with me, chat to me afterwards. But I think Gladiator is a five out of five movie. It's a great movie. If you haven't seen it, do check it out. And if you have, you'll remember at the start of the movie, the Roman soldiers, they're under attack from those onslaught of flaming arrows being fired at them. And what do they do? They just simply put up their shields, these massive shields which cover them, cover their whole bodies and to protect them. And that's the picture here that Paul uses. Our shield of faith is simply our faith in Christ, not in ourselves, but in Christ. God himself is our imperishable faith. He's our shield to those who take refuge in him, as Proverbs 30 verse 5 says. He's our shield, our protector. And these attacks from Satan, the fiery arrows, will be every type at his disposal. Perhaps temptations he fires at us to ungodly behavior. He knows what types of things individually tempt us. Or perhaps it will be accusations he fires our way at our consciences, saying we're not good enough for God and so on. Or firing an onslaught of doubts and fear towards our way. Or perhaps times of persecution that he fires our way at us. But ultimately with our faith in Christ, not ourselves, we look to what Jesus has done. We look to our eternal security in him. For he, God, is our shield. We're eternally protected in him. Well, next is verse 17. We're to get fitted with the headgear now, notice. We're to get our head sized up for the helmet of salvation. So here, uh, Paul's language is drawn again from Isaiah, Isaiah 59, where the Lord Yahweh, the victorious warrior, 
wears the helmet, the helmet of salvation, as he saves his people and judges their enemies. Well, see, and he will at times cast doubts at us, perhaps causing alarm and, and fear of, uh, to us that we're perhaps not truly saved. Some believers sometimes doubt their salvation. Satan loves to play havoc with those doubts. But wearing this helmet of salvation, well, with it on, we remember with a confident assurance that we are already saved in Christ Jesus. We are assured that Satan cannot snatch us from him. We are safely secure in Christ for all eternity. Well, finally, verse 17, the sword of the Spirit. Well, there's times in war when the, uh, the best form of defense is attack. And so we have at our disposal here a good old, trusty, down and dirty, close combat weapon, the trusty sword. The sword of the Spirit, of course, is the Word of God. And there's no better place to learn how to use that than to look to Jesus himself. You will remember that when Jesus was in the wilderness fasting for 40 days and nights, and the devil came to him, presenting him with temptations, what did Jesus do? How did he respond to Satan? He quoted scripture back at him. He used God's word. And after those times, the devil left him. So if Jesus needed, then we certainly do. So when the devil comes and offers us some temptation, well, using the word of God against him, well, it's a sharp sword that can drive him away. So that's each individual item there of armor that each Christian has at our disposal, all ready for the battlefield. Young and old Christians, we have all this at our disposal. Well, I remember a number of years ago, uh, back, in, back home in Northern Ireland, I watched this large, incredibly large British Army transporter going to a nearby airport. Two minutes from where I lived, there used to be an RAF base. And it was transporting dozens of British Army Land Rovers uh, called Snatch Land Rovers. And they were designed and built specifically for the streets of Belfast. You would, they would be driven into hostile streets. The army would jump out of the back of them, grab a suspected terrorist, chuck them in the back, and then quickly drive away as fast as they could before they came under attack. Well, to my shock, they were transporting these lightly armored Snatch Land Rovers to Iraq and Afghanistan. And when they arrived there, the British troops gave them a new nickname, Mobile Coffins. And you see, that's because they had no armor for that type of enemy warfare. Our troops went into battle without the right protective armor. It was a complete disaster. It was a disgrace. Our troops were put into harm's way on the battlefield in them with little or no armor. Many of our troops died in them because they were so lightly armored. Now for us as Christians, God has not left us in the battlefield of everyday life with the wrong or incomplete armor as we face this deadly foe who is always scheming against us and against the church. No, we have the full armor of God at our disposal, each of us, which covers us from head to toe. It's all we need for standing firm. And this armor of ours that he provides, it's not brand new, you know, never worn or pristine clean. No, it's stained. It's stained in blood, the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. For it's his armor, he wore it first. And now because of his faithfulness, 
his obedience, his victory won and secured the cross, will we then in him, in Christ, can now stand firm in him and be strong then in the Lord and the strength of his might as we put on his full armor. Well, the last point for us then uh, from Paul as we're engaged in this spiritual everyday war, we're to be standing on in prayer, verses 18 to 20. So Paul here, he adds prayer as another though unnamed weapon. It's described, it describes the manner in which the armor is to be put on and worn. Paul first reminds the Ephesians to be praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. By praying in the spirit, it's not some sort of super spiritual thing uh, that only the elite prayer warriors do. No, it simply means to be praying in line with God's word, in, in line with God's will. Now notice Paul here, he, he says we're to pray at all times with all prayer and supplication, with all perseverance. Basically, Paul is saying that we're to be praying through all scenes and seasons of life with all types of prayer. Praying when trials and temptations come, praying for the joys of life, prayers of thanksgiving, brief prayers, long prayer, time of quiet prayer, time of crying out to the Lord and pain, all prayer, morning times at work in the car, prayer meetings, as we press on standing firm, prayerfully waiting for Christ's return. And so if we don't pray ourselves, you see, what we're actually doing is saying, well, I can handle this Christian walk, this battle myself. It shows that we're not actually taking Satan and his real opposition to us in the church seriously. Well, now notice with me at the end of verse 18, Paul says we are to be praying for all the saints, all the saints. The last time I was here, I think you guys had one of your prayer, sorry, one of your mission prayer partners uh, in the morning uh, with you. Uh, we had our, uh, some of our partners with us, our mission partners over from Belgium at our church recently. And of course, we pray for our mission partners, don't we? They need our prayer. They're on the mission field. So we pray for them, don't we, wherever they are. And we pray, of course, for our pastors and our elders. I'm sure you guys are praying for Paul and his family as they'll soon be with you here in Silksworth. I'm sure you pray for your elders here as well. Do you pray for them? Pray for your elders. Uh, they, they will no doubt be uh, very faithfully working hard. They've not asked me to say this, by the way. But do be praying for them. I'm sure they will value their prayers. But they, no doubt, particularly this past year, they have been working, no doubt, tirelessly behind the scenes. Uh, they have families. They have things going on as well, and jobs and so on. But yet they've been uh, faithfully leading you guys, overseeing the church family here this past year. And they will continue to when Paul arrives as well. So do continue to pray for them and pray for Paul, of course. But we're to not just be praying for the missionaries, the pastor, the elders, but also for all in the church. Not just those in our own home groups, but all the saints here, Paul says. Even those church family we don't really click with. Those we're not particularly as close to or we have as much as common with in the church. Paul's calling on us to be praying for all the saints. It's a challenge here for us this evening for us all. Now we all know we should pray. We all know that. We believe in it, yet often that belief does not match our actions. We get distracted. We've all been there. We say to the person at the end of church over tea and coffee, oh, I'll be praying for you. I'll remember to pray for you. And then we forget to. We get distracted. 
We get lost in our good intentions. Well, Don Carson, in his wonderful book, a book called A Call to Spiritual Reformation, it's a, it's a book about prayer. Well, he says if we don't plan to pray, we won't pray. It just won't happen. So we need to be active in setting aside time to pray. Set aside time. We set aside time to meet our friends, our family. We set aside time to watch Netflix. So we can certainly set aside time to be praying for our saints in the church. We need to be doing this. We need to be praying. Prayer is the heartbeat of any faithful church. It's the lifeblood of any Christian. And praying here is showing that we're keeping alert, as Paul calls us to do. Again, Satan hates this church. He hates Calvary Christian Fellowship. He hates us. He wants to bring this church down. He hates that you want to share the good news of Jesus Christ with the people of Silksworth. He will do whatever he can to bring us down. We've got to be praying. Continue to be praying and watchful. Now, can I ask you a question here? And for those of you who are listening online and uh, perhaps who are here tonight who are not a member of this church. I don't know everybody here, so I don't know if you're a member of this local church or if you're just visiting or those listening online. Can I ask you a question? If you're not part of this church family and you are a Christian, who is praying for you? Who is praying for you? You see, if you're not a member of a local church, how can the saints know you and so then know what to pray for you? You see, the Christian who's not a member of a local church is effectively wandering around out there in no man's land, out on their own on this daily battlefield. And that, dear brother or sister, means you're going to be easy pickings for the enemy. You see, if you're a member of a local church, you're standing firm in line, shoulder to shoulder, with other brothers and sisters. And when the going gets tough, as it does for us all in the Christian life, well, the Christian member of a local church has the saints next to them, caring for them, loving them, supporting them, and holding them up in prayer. Can I encourage you, regardless of where in the world you're from or how long you're planning to be here in Sunderland, to commit here to Calvary Christian Fellowship or to become a member of another local faithful church so to receive the benefit of saints praying for you and you praying for the saints as well in that church because they need you as much as you need them. So dear brother and sister, coming from no man's land, you don't want to be out there trying to live as a Christian on your own. Do talk to the elders here at Calvary if you're considering uh, membership, if that's right for you. Do contact them through the website if you listen to this online. Do speak to them. We need to be praying for one another. In fact, as we finish, look at verses 19 to 20. Here is the mighty Apostle Paul, the mighty great Apostle Paul, the church planter extraordinaire, the mighty preacher of all. And what does he ask for? Prayer. Even he needed the prayer of the saints as he asked for prayer to share the gospel here boldly. We need to see him. We do need each other's prayers. We are in the thick of a spiritual war. We do have a real enemy. The Christian life is tough, as I said. So let's not be naive about the real danger of our enemy. As we go into this week, let's not be naive about him and what's going on. Instead, let's be standing firm alongside each other, shoulder to shoulder, in prayer, holding one another up in prayer, and taking up the full armor of God that we do enjoy already being in Christ. Let's make the most of what we already have in him at our disposal. And friends, being in Christ, well, that is the best 
the safest and the surest place to stand in this hostile world as we wait until Christ finally returns and takes us home. So let's pray as we finish that we keep doing just that, standing firm in Christ. Let's pray now that we do just that, shall we? Okay. Oh, Father God, thank you so much that we are in Christ, that the safest place we could possibly be, the best place to be, no matter what. And thank you that we have the full armor of God at our disposal. Thank you that Christ was the faithful one. He faithfully went to that cross for us to secure our salvation eternally. Satan has been defeated. Christ is reigning in glory now. He is victorious. And we look forward to that day when he does return and Satan and all these evil powers will be cast away in the lake of fire forever. And until that day, Father, help us be alert. Help us not be naive to his scheming. He hates this church. He hates Christians. He wants to bring us down. He wants to cause havoc. So help us be alert to take this seriously. Help us to be prayerful, to be praying for ourselves and one another in the church as we seek to continue to stand firm and await Christ's return. Help us, Lord, we pray. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.